0: What's up, y'all? This is the one and the only shot to the Willie Mack. It's your boy Hot Fire.
1: This is Fred Ottman, Tugboat Typhoon. This is voice
0: ISWAC dollar time. Hello everyone, this is the interview queen Alicia T. This is the Callahan Death Machine in the draw and the face of Impact Wrestling, Sammy Callahan. This is the AirPod God MLW star Richard Holiday. And you're listening to. And you're listening to. And you're listening of the broken but glorious broken but glorious. Broken but bro- glorious hey, yeah. So hello everyone, it's Stephen Jackson, a.k.a. stj two one five, here again with another exclusive interview. This time I'm joined by a very special guest, um Australian wrestling guru, um Kevin shout So how are you doing, Kevin?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me, Stephen.
0: Oh no, you're welcome. It's an absolute pleasure. This is actually a first for me. This is my first time I've ever reviewed anybody from over in um, Oceania, I should say. Not Australia, but Oceania. So it's it's mm-hmm. eight, it's nine o'clock here in the morning. So what time is it over there with you for those it listeners? It
1: is currently five twenty PM.
0: Ah yeah, so um it's uh and it's beautifully sunny here as well, is it nice and sunny with you as well over um in Oceania?
1: Yeah, it's um where I am in Perth, it is a about oh, i don't know 29 28 degrees um so hopefully um by the time uh, we're done talking it will be uh, it will be cool enough for me to take the dog out for a walk
0: oh yeah it's um yeah i wouldn't want to be taking the, the dog out in that heat and it's it's cool here because we're in we're in february still but it is thankfully it is warming up a little bit and it is getting a little bit you know more um, spring-like and you mm-hmm. know the, the one thing I will open up is, as I've asked everybody recently who I've been uh, in, interviewing, just as it is the main topic of the world, you may say, how's the coronavirus situation over there in uh, in Australia and in, um, in Oceania? Is it feeling okay? Is it feeling hopeful? Because it is here in the UK with what Boris said um, on Monday. Is it feeling okay?
1: Yeah, I mean, Australia and New Zealand have probably been – uh, arguably like two of the best, uh, places in the world in terms of, uh, minimizing, uh, COVID outbreaks. Uh, if you look at Australia's death total overall, it's like under uh, a yeah. thousand, for the entire country, um, where I am, uh, in Perth, it's been, I think about eight months or nine months now since the last time there was community transmission. So, wow. uh, Perth is pretty, uh, open in terms of what we can do. There was a brief kind of snap lockdown in response to a uh, case where kind of a hotel quarantine security worker had caught uh, COVID. Um, In a lot of ways, uh, obviously, there's still a lot of stuff that's changed. But generally, um, things have gone relatively well. and uh, we're in this process now of hopefully by the time uh, kind of the vaccine rollout is fully uh, is fully completed, uh, we'll be in the position where we won't have these snap lockdowns anymore uh, when there's cases which kind of get out of qua- hotel quarantine into the wider community. and probably more importantly uh, that you'd start to have open borders uh, within the country. So in Australia, uh, particularly where I am in Western Australia, because uh, Australia is a very, very big country, which uh, has a relatively small population compared to its size. Uh, basically, it's um, the size of the United States, uh, Australia, roughly, but uh, has about a 200th the population. So yeah. where I am in Perth, uh, which is the further uh, most west part of the country, uh there is like literally the size of the UK between where I am in Perth and uh, Adelaide, the nearest capital city to us in South Australia. So that um, there's actually been border closures uh, throughout the states has obviously had positives in terms of health, kind of negatives in terms of uh, the country kind of being more divided geographically and culturally than it has in a long time and that's very much been uh, a big part of the story of Australian wrestling in 2020 and now we're into 2021 Uh, just the physical border restrictions uh, that it is so difficult now for talent to uh, go interstate to work shows even as shows are starting to come back and kind of have been starting to come back since July to August last year, you're still in the situation where no company in Australia can book someone from interstate or someone who has to travel across state lines and feel confident that they'll actually be able to deliver that match because a kind of border closure or kind of snap lockdown could kind of hit at any point
0: yeah um you know it, it's it's very hopeful that um i mean here in the uk and um, i not i will dwell on the figures and things because it is particularly um you know scary and things but you know we did get a lot more hope from what we heard on monday and as long as everything goes to plan then i'm hoping that things will you know open up more and that you know the will be able to travel a lot more um, freely. And as you've just said, like with the Australian wrestling um, companies, you know, wrestlers in the UK will be able to travel more freely to be able to, you know, go to different promotions in the UK. And, you know, even fans as well, fans be able to actually attend shows and, you know, be able to um, experience in wrestling in 2021, which, you know, throughout 2020 was very, um, you know, stilted, you may say, and hit and miss. I mean, we, we kind of have always been in a lockdown in a sense. And then we came out of one just before Christmas and then we went back into one and then, you know, kind of had a little bit of opening and then it's gone back into one again. So it's been kind of very hit and miss in a sense, the whole the whole lockdown situation. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, as long as everything goes to plan, 2021 looks a lot more um, optimistic in terms of the country as a whole, as well as, you know, the wrestling industry. Which kind of brings me into one question I was going to ask, which was, in this coming year, so in twenty twenty one, um, in terms of you you as a as a fan, um and, you know, maybe friends and things, have you any main aims in terms of um going to shows in twenty twenty one, going into twenty twenty two from you know, and the Oceana scene? You know, I know you're a big fan of EPW, which you've covered extensively. Are you looking forward to going back to EPW or is there anywhere you haven't had chance to go due to um the COVID situation, which you'd like to go and seek out in Australia as a whole and New Zealand?
1: Yeah, well, I'm a kind of season ticket member, essentially, at EPW, and uh, very <laughs> uh, thoughtfully, I suppose, with them, they've kind of kept the season uh, membership kind of rolling from last year into this year. So uh, we haven't worked out exactly when they're going to cut that off, but kind of for all the shows, they couldn't run Uh, last year. They're still allowing uh, season ticket members to uh, attend based off last year's payment, Uh, so that's good. Um, Obviously, uh, where I am in Western Australia, there's uh, three, I could say three, there's kind of closer to uh, two promotions really running at the moment. Uh, One uh, EPW, um, there's another promotion called the southern hemisphere wrestling alliance who are running a show march 6 which i will most likely be going to uh but i say kind of two promotions uh because uh at the start of last year schwa was bought out by epw so it's kind of run as a secondary brand uh by epw now
0: oh, that's cool um, and
1: it ended up being you know just phenomenal phenomenal timing on the part of the uh former schwa owner who who sold like literally the month before covid hit so he really did choose the right time to get out of uh professional wrestling promoting and uh and there's another promotion in, in wa called new horizons pro wrestling but i don't really go to those shows anymore um So yeah, in terms of what I'll be definitely going to in the recent, uh, in the coming weeks and months, uh, will be some of the uh, EPW and schwa shows uh, in terms of going over east uh obviously that's just very dependent on when you can reliably travel yeah Uh, i'd love to go uh back to melbourne for another wrestle rock show i went to the one in uh july 2019 which was main evented by avery and scarlet bordeaux and those shows are very very silly but a lot of fun (laughs) and uh, i would i i pretty sure I won't have a chance of getting to their return show in April, but hopefully sometime later in the year I'll be able to go to another Wrestle Rock.
0: No, that's I mean, that's a full calendar of um, you know, events to go and attend and promotions to go and see, you know, and um I was saying to people that my main aim is to, you know, because we've been restricted with travel to hopefully travel more and see more promotions which I've been wanting to watch for a long time, you know, around the around the world, you know, because mm. it's having your freedom taken away in a sense you rely so much on the screen anyway you know and you watch wrestling from afar on a screen when it is international but when that's been taken away in terms of you are physically just at home as well as going to work i've been going to work but it does restrict you and then it does give you that eagerness to think we do have an opportunity now hopefully to go and see those you know, promotions, much like, you know, EPW, which I would love to go and uh, experience and see. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions I always ask my uh, guests is, um, you've got a very specialist knowledge of, of wrestling and the Oceania scene. Is it always been the Oceana scene what sparked your interest in pro wrestling or did it come from a different perspective? Um, a different place and then did it sort of fall into the Oceania scene? Where where did it begin the the pro wrestling, um, the love of the uh, pro wrestling industry?
1: Well, I mean, I suppose, uh, as with pretty much everyone, it's kind of WWE slash WWF is kind of the first thing you get into. Um, I remember I actually got in when I was 12 and literally like 2001. So basically the very end of the Attitude Era. Uh, was when I got into wrestling and uh, the beginning of the invasion. I'm one of the people who started my wrestling fandom kind of during the invasion angle. So you didn't actually understand how completely botched it was. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember I, I saw like, I think a Velocity uh, or, or Heat, one of the secondary shows when I was in a hotel room because we didn't have paid TV where I was. And there was, I think, clips of Kurt Angle and Rhino in a match for the WCW US title in that weird period where you had the WCW titles being defended on WWF TV. And very much like just the idea of Kurt Angle, this uh, Olympic gold medalist who was in uh, WWE, uh, who was in wrestling then, uh, that was kind of the first hook. And I got into it. primarily just through following uh, WWE in that early 2000s period. Uh, one of the first times, I say probably the first time I was aware of Australian pro wrestling. Uh, well, there's two examples I can think of. Uh, EPW, which started in, I believe, either late 2001 or early 2002. Uh, they had a incident at their second ever show um, where uh, Mikey, who of course is now known as Mikey Nichols or mm-hmm. was known as Nick Miller in NXT, Yeah, uh, he did a shooting star press, I think, to the outside and landed on the guardrail and kind of badly concussed himself Ooh. and uh, the show had to get uh, shut down. And that was their second ever show. So it made like page three in the local paper uh, as a kind of scare uh, tactic about this dangerous professional wrestling. Um, So I think that's the first time I ever heard about EPW, who actually uh, started out as ECW, uh, Explosive (sighs) Coastal Wrestling. They, thankfully, about a year or so in, realized it was a smarter idea to change their name. and through that incident uh, because the original founding fathers of EPW were basically all kids who loved pro wrestling and there was absolutely no pro wrestling in Western Australia or where we are in Perth at the very least for about 30 to 40 years. Uh, And these guys just started putting on shows and because that uh, incident got some bad mainstream press they actually had people from Adelaide uh Hartley Jackson uh and uh, an old and an older wrestler called Coltivani, uh were in South Australia and they were kind of the first people who really went okay rather than shitting on these people and calling them untrained backyarders and uh, and embarrassments to Australian wrestling which was absolutely barely a thing anywhere in Australia in the late 90s, early 2000s, they actually reached out and uh, brought those kind, that original class of EPW talent uh, over to South Australia. And that's where people like Davis Storm uh, and Jimmy Payne and uh, Nate Dooley um, and all the other kind of original class of uh, EPW students got their start. was... Uh, being trained by Jag Hartley-Jackson and Cole Devaney in South Australia. And then basically they moved back to Perth, and that's kind of the genesis of EPW. So I remember seeing that story uh, when it made page three of The West Australian. Uh, And then the other first real knowledge I had of EPW itself was I went to a cinema screening of WrestleMania 19. Uh, which was on a Saturday morning. It it had aired live, I think, at cinemas. Wow. Uh, but then uh, they had a replay on the Saturday, which I went to, and there was someone from EPW there handing out show flyers uh, after the after the pay-per-view was finished. And that's really, I think, the first time I was aware that uh, EPW was still a thing that was kind of going on and had become uh, Perth's, at at that time, only independent pro wrestling uh, company and was on its way to becoming close to one of the top uh, professional wrestling companies in all of Australia.
0: Yeah, uh, fascinating story. That's an absolutely fascinating story. Um, I never knew that about um, Mikey Nichols, that that actually happened. Um, Page three here in the UK, um, in particular newspapers, isn't reserved for wrestling, it's reserved for something else. Mm. So that made me laugh slightly. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's... um, you can you've you've reeled off so many names there of people who've come up through the uh you know the epw school and through the epw promotion and you know there are a lot of australian wrestling and australian wrestlers have um you know over the past few years definitely um traveled more internationally and i think for me as i said to you off air Your um, writing in particular um, made me, and and knowledge, made me uh, introduced to a lot of the the wrestlers you have mentioned. And the main place you have written for is um, Voices of Wrestling, um, a great Mm -hmm. website for those people who haven't um, checked it out. So I'll I'll put the link down and and definitely check it out. But um, Voices of Wrestling has always been a very, um, you know, I I want to, I wouldn't say the word highbrow, but it's very, um, the, the writing is of a very high quality and the writing is very um, knowledgeable and very, um, you know, um, good. I mean, there's a lot of writing out there, wrestling, which doesn't grab your attention and doesn't have the, um, the bare kind of writing um, sort of, skills there to be able to grab grab your attention but you know you're one of the people who really grabbed me in terms of your writing style so it's kind of a two-part question but the first question I will ask is with Voices of Wrestling did they approach you or did you approach them because you know you kind of covered part of the world which essentially wasn't really being covered extensively Mm -hmm. so did you approach them with this idea that you wanted to cover EPW in Australia did that come about through that or did they approach you how did that kind of relationship begin
1: Okay, uh, so yeah, first off, uh, Rich Krejci, Joe Lanza, the the voices behind the Voices of Wrestling Flagship podcast, and especially uh, Rich is kind of integral in keeping the site running as it does. Mm. I think that they've developed a really amazing place for professional wrestling talk and professional wrestling uh, thought to to be found on the internet. Um, It's a site that I think some people have this uh, notion that it's just about wanting uh, super serious uh, or uh, strong style in the kind of most uh, stereotypical way that, uh, you know, some less educated fans would think all Japanese wrestling is, um, that it's a place only for that kind of very specific smart mark type. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's really a very open platform, and I think uh, Rich in particular with the website has just attracted a lot of uh, great writers who are all doing this for love because there is no money in writing about the particular fields of wrestling that uh, we're all obsessed by. Um You know, the only real money in wrestling writing is uh, if you're willing to do bullshit clickbait uh, articles and stuff and, you know, a a new post for every uh, tweet from Sasha Banks or Bailey, that sort of thing. Um, So, yeah, and what happened with Voices of Wrestling, uh, I started following them probably around 2016-ish or uh, maybe a little bit before then. And uh, a friend of mine uh, who, who I met through his work at Voices of Wrestling, uh, Scorpio Corps, uh, The and Scorpio uh, was very smart, I think, to go under a pseudonym as well. Uh, he was one of the first people to write about Australian wrestling yeah. for Voices of Wrestling, and he did uh, an article on just kind of a list of wrestlers to keep your eye on in, I think, Early 2017 kind of around the same time in which uh, the Australian scene was starting to get more attention uh, internationally which a lot of that attention came because there was this growing uh, back and forth both of Australian or New Zealand talents uh, leaving the country to move to the UK especially um, at the time when that kind of initial boom was happening, that people could make a full-time living as independent pro wrestlers in the UK. Uh, so, so that was part of it. There was also the fact that we had uh, some top stars from the UK and especially uh, top stars from New Japan, like Will Ospreay's Tour of Australia and kind of the uh, Okada a match at MCW against Slex, which was yeah. obviously a very big moment in terms of establish- mm. establishing Australian wrestling as something that uh, not just people in Australia were really taking notice of. So, yeah, I obviously I saw some of uh, Scorpio Core's work and uh, what clicked for me was that I in my baby smart days a very very long time ago i tried some uh wrestling column writing uh for another site uh which it didn't really go that far because i was about 12 or 13 when i was doing <laughs> that um and i got more into e-fetting at that point which is another thing i've thankfully grown out of uh and yeah i I actually had the idea um, when a promotion out of Melbourne launched called Underworld Wrestling uh, to write reviews of their shows uh, because Underworld Wrestling uh, was kind of specifically selling itself as a TV show more so than uh, a pro wrestling product. And I thought at that point um, that was an easier in for me in terms of writing if I was uh, approaching it like I was reviewing a television show uh, or a movie. And, yeah, I, I just basically uh, emailed Rich and said, I've been watching this. I'm thinking of writing a review. Uh, would you like to run it? And he said, yeah, sure, send it through. And it was considered to be uh, of acceptable quality to run uh to run on the website. And I ended up reviewing the entire season of Underworld Wrestling. And from there, I started to review um, other promotions where I felt uh, more comfortable now in terms of writing about wrestling. And especially there's that trick in terms of, I think, everyone's individual style is whether you want to go down the uh, the route of uh, going full on with play-by-play writing uh, or whether you want to try and give your uh, critical understanding or your uh, your read on a match. And I think that's something that a lot of people uh, just have to find themselves uh, when you're going to write about anything, any sort of art form. But particularly with uh, pro wrestling, I think there's a tendency for people to just want to follow kind of the established styles of the biggest names like especially kind of Meltzer obviously uh Meltzer's influence is why star ratings is kind of such a um such a specific um trope in kind yeah. of wrestling reviewing um, his influence has uh, been really seen apparent uh in that and in all the uh, discussions and arguments around star ratings. Uh, so, so that's its own thing that you kind of need to uh, get your head around whenever you're starting to review anything, whether it's wrestling or music or film or books or comics or anything like that. Uh, you just need to practice it and start to find a style that works for you.
0: Yeah, um, that's one thing I was really drawn to with your, your writing and with Scorpio is that, you know, you had your own specific style, which, you know, was very knowledgeable, but it wasn't um, inaccessible. So you were able to learn a lot through the reviews which you, you've put out, especially underworld Wrestling, which I really enjoyed, like you said, when I started, and that really drew me in. Um, and, you know, the, um, the, the thing as well with the um, Voices of Wrestling platform, um, which I was incredibly lucky to take part in this year, was the uh, annual Match of the Year um, award. So mm-hmm. the wrestling website I write for, the Wrestling Estate, we had an opportunity to take part in the awards. So myself and John Corrigan um, wrote some of uh, our top ten matches and they got submitted. So a couple of our comments got put through, which was a massive, um, you know, honour for me, given how um, highly, um, you know, sort of access to that particular list of 100 matches has become and how um, extensive it covers. You know, I mean, you look at that list and, you know, it really is around the world list of promotions of countries, of wrestlers, and of matches. Um, and, I mean, in terms of... This is kind of off-topic, but has just kind of come to me. In terms of that, um, that list of top 100 matches, um, from this past year, um, the main winner was um, Okada and uh, sorry, it was Omega and Adam Page against the Young Bucks from uh, AW Revolution. But mm-hmm. there was some um, Australian matches on there, which um, which and, and Oceania matches which um, you would um, put through, which got into the into the countdown. We um, were you proud that they some of them ended up really. I can't remember off the top of my head how high they got, but some of them got quite high. Are you Proud how Many people, you know, voted for them and got them high up in the countdown as well. Um, it wasn't just kind of a... It's helped to gain more momentum through possibly the work at Voices of Wrestling.
1: I think um, in particular with uh, the Match of the Year countdown, um, and I think it's a really excellent thing that Rich and Joe have put together and how widely uh, they open up the uh, possibility for people who want to contribute ballots and uh, contribute kind of their own writing about why they chose those specific 10 matches. Um, I think it's a very cool and unique thing that is not really unique in other art forms, but I think that sort of collation of uh, so many different reviewers or critics Opinions into kind of year end review uh, pieces or lists uh, is something that pro wrestling was really in need of. And uh, I think it's one of the cool things about what Voices of Wrestling has done. And basically, yeah, you have a very, very wide list of people from all over the world. And even then, um, and something which I've tried to do behind the scenes, and certainly Rich has tried to do a lot as well, but it's quite difficult is trying to uh, kind of greater diversify the uh, voting base of that uh, of that list of uh, people who are sending in ballots Um, and it's something which is interesting in terms of I do think there are divides and kind of wrestling criticism behind between people who are more match focused and people who are either uh, more story focused or more kind of character driven Um, and a lot of that divide I'm not really sure how you actually uh, end up bridging that because I think it might be something that is kind of inherent to a lot of fandoms. Uh, If anyone's done any kind of academic fandom studies research, um, there's this idea that you've kind of got transformative fans and uh, what's the other term for it? Kind of collating fans kind of And the idea is that you have like a lot of people who are more interested in exploring their fandom, whether it's through wrestling or uh, TV shows, films, say the MCU, something like that, are more interested in stuff like uh, fan fiction and uh, fan vids or kind of cosplay, that sort of element of exploring their fandom. Uh, Whereas a lot of the kind of more collated fans are more interested in kind of doing these deep dives into, uh, into the history of a form or the history of a kind of franchise or something and doing stuff like putting these uh, fan Wikipedias together and kind of putting all the canonical information together for people to look at and understand in depth. And um, I do think there's kind of a bit of that divide in pro wrestling fandom between people who kind of look at it with a more kind of... Uh, collating mindsets and are more interested in stuff like match of the year or doing match of the year columns and the match of the year voting list and uh other people who are maybe more interested in kind of wrestling as this cultural experience um and and uh, Kind of trying to get back to it. I think that's one of the reasons why it's kind of been difficult to diversify the voting base as much as I'd like it. To, I'd like to see it. And uh, I know Rich would really like to see it, especially in terms of getting more uh, female critics uh, yeah. contributing to the list. Uh, and th- that's a, a kind of digression from the point you were making or that you wanted to make. Uh, but I think it's part of the story of this wrestling fandom we're in now and uh the different directions that wrestling fandom has gone into and in a lot of ways i think the producers themselves on kind of both the very big global level and uh the indie level uh, really struggle with how to uh balance those two different types of fandoms uh, in yeah. a way that's going to work
0: yeah i think it is as you've said a uh, uh... A battle between two, I've never really it's interesting you've said that because I've never really looked at it in that uh, much depth but I think it really is kind of a battle in a sense uh, between two different views of um, fans or fandom and you know for for me um, what it's always been about is just gaining a more rounded knowledge of what wrestling's out there and I think and just then being able to deep dive into it and then being able to see a lot more of you know, what's available. So, like, with your work in uh, o- Oceana, you know, being able to see guys like um, Slex and guys like um, Jonah Rock. And, I mean, we've seen now Jonah Rock's over in uh, WWE um, as um, Bronson Reed. Is it Bronson Reed? I always forget yes, his that's Yeah, okay. I just refer to him as Jonah Rock. <laughs> that's why I refer to him. But, um, yeah, it, it, I think, and I, I do agree that I think it would have been so much um it's hard because you know it's such a male dominated fan base in one sense wrestling but it also has so many um female fans as well that you know it would be great to be able to read more of a female um demographic when it comes to those match of the year countdowns And and that one in particular because like i said it was a massive honor for me to be able to take part in that and you know to be in even just a couple of matches have those quotes on, you know, the uh, the pages it did mean, uh, you know, scrolling through and then you find yourself as you were reading the list because it's a complete surprise, you know, when you've never mm. done it before. It's like, oh, wow, you know, I'm there. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's um, definitely a resource, I would say, if you do want to understand more of a way if you want kind of i wouldn't say a whistle stop tour but if you want a tour of what wrestling to watch from 2020 it is definitely probably the best place to look for the most diverse list of um wrestling matches on the internet i i would say and it's interesting as well that you mention a lot of um sort of uh, academic side of of writing because um you actually, as well as taking part in the match of the year um, countdown, you also had the opportunity to write a re- um, an article in the um, Voices of Wrestling 2018 Year in Review ebook, which again is a massive, um, you know, achievement and a big um, sort of selling point for the brand, which was an um, article entitled um, Expansion Down Under uh, New Japan in Australia and New Zealand, and you briefly touched on... Um, Okada coming through um, and uh, facing uh, facing Slex at MCW New Horizons. I believe was the show, wasn't it? If I'm correct, was it? Um, New I think
1: it was oh, called. November, uh, November,
0: sorry, was it November? November Yes. November rain. I apologise. Yeah, November Um, and obviously then New uh, New Japan went on a tour of um Australia and New Zealand, um, and faced a lot of the the stars down there. Um, and had some really great matches as well, and really opened up the brand. And, I mean, we've seen Jay White as well, who is now the leader of Bullet Club, who started as a Young Lion, New Zealand-born wrestler, who, you know, has kind of become the biggest, as, as of talking, one of the biggest in over in um, New Japan as of 2021. Um, was that exciting as well, to be able to write as part of that sort of um, publication? And, you know, what was the... Um, where did it kind of, did you attend any of those shows actually, that's what I should ask, did you attend any of those New Japan shows, or was that kind of where um, the ideas from?
1: Let me start with uh, talking about the New Japan, uh, the Voices of, West, Voices of Wrestling New Japan yearbook, um, which yeah, I, I've contributed to the 2018 and 2019 books. Uh, 2018 I wrote kind of an article about New Japan's expansion into Australia, as well as some Profiles of the uh, Australian talent who were on the Australian and New Zealand talent who were on that tour of Australia. And then in 2019, I just did kind of uh, some profiles of the Australian talent who were on the shows uh, in Melbourne and Sydney in 2019. Uh, The the talent who just worked those shows and didn't really uh, get a run in Japan itself. Um, and again uh, they're great resources great books uh, and very much the end of uh, this year if anyone wants to be involved uh, Rich will put out the call for anyone who has article pictures or uh, any artists who want to be involved it's definitely something that especially if you have a strong interest in New Japan as a promotion um, I really recommend anyone who's got a desire to write or draw about professional wrestling to get involved with that project because they are open to pictures from absolutely anyone. Um, And, uh, yeah, I was at the Perth show of the 2018 tour, uh, which was a a very cool experience. You had uh, something really unique in uh, that Davis Storm versus Minoru Suzuki match that was on the show. Uh, That was – Really, really cool, and uh, one of the first times uh, when I'd really been aware of Davis Storm taking uh, punishment in the ring from someone, and being able to spot like his kids on the other side of the uh, other side of the ring, uh, and and seeing that reaction close up. Uh, that show was a really cool experience to be at, um, and especially stuff like uh, what what Davis Storm did on the show. What uh, uh, what else was there? Uh, I know there was the Cody versus uh, the Cody versus Robbie Eagles versus Will Ospreay triple threat on the yes. Perth show, which was uh, a really excellent match. Uh, TMDK had a four man tag against the Bullet Club, which was also really cool. You know, it's obviously a case where Australia and New Zealand have been part of New Japan's expansion plans, um, especially uh, in terms of the Farley Dojo now running in Auckland. And if you are an Australian or New Zealand wrestler who has the goal of making it to uh, New Japan specifically, kind of going through the Farley Dojo really is the the main way to get to that kind of uh, highlight point uh, of most people's careers would be to work for New Japan in in Japan itself. Um, Certainly, I think New Japan has had difficulties throughout the kind of English language world uh, from 2019 onwards when they lost... uh, when they lost Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks and Cody and uh, other kind of Bullet Club adjacent slash elite people um, and the formation of All Elite Wrestling. And we're going to have to see what happens now that the forbidden door has been opened and that hopefully we're about a year away from there being easy international travel between countries like the US and uh, Japan. Uh, But certainly uh, there has been... I think, not just in Australia, but throughout the entire world, uh, New Japan is kind of struggling to work out how to properly communicate and appeal to the Western market without those specific draw card talents. And we have seen, uh, obviously, someone like Robbie Eagles and Jay White and Toa Hanare. Uh, You do have Australian and New Zealand talents who are regulars in New Japan, who are a big part of what should be the push to continue New Japan's uh, rise to more mainstream awareness in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, To me, probably the biggest weakness in terms of New Japan's approach to kind of the Oceania region is that they haven't been able to get TV here. Yeah, Uh, you know, it's AEW has a similar issue in which it's only available on uh, Fight TV uh, in Australia. I think there reaches a point where with the internet, you can reach uh, the hardcore fans, but there's probably only maximum about 10,000 really dedicated pro wrestling fans in all of Australia, I'd say. Wow. Um, like that was kind of the, the one statistic I haven't heard of update on it in like five years. But that was about the statistic I heard on uh, the WWE, uh, the WWE network subs in Australia, like when they launched, it was somewhere around 10,000 people. I I just think that uh, whether it's AEW or whether it's New Japan, uh, they really do need to find a TV outlet to push their product if they're going to uh, broaden the appeal to a wider audience in Australia and New Zealand and in particular I think New Japan should be looking at stuff like the Maori television stations in New Zealand or say uh, SBS which is kind of the multicultural uh, the multicultural channel in Australia uh, who, who do stuff like um, if you if you are the one, I forget the name of it, the uh, Chinese version of Taken Out, uh, which is very popular as like a cult show. Um, I definitely think that there are ways in which to market in a more smart and targeted way for New yeah. Japan, uh, but I think number one, they've got to obviously uh, cement all the issues in the home country of Japan, but You know, it's a case in which whether it's going back and forth with AEW talent or whether it's just building up their own talent as stars, especially kind of the international talent from certain regions, uh, that just needs to be a bigger promotional push Uh, in terms of getting people outside of our uh, hubs to understand that there is wrestling outside of WWE.
0: Yeah. um, You know, I mean, it was fascinating for me watching it on New Japan world seeing you know the Australian and New Zealand talent taking on the new Japan talent. and I think it really I mean obviously the international expansion with um, New Japan like you said has been hindered by the um, you know the loss of um, Kenny Omega, Kode, And the AEW talent roster, essentially, you know, the elite or the the bullet club, because, you know, it it then meant that things had to kind of be reviewed and look and see how you can, you know, expand um, without those guys who are established over in predominantly, you know, the United States um, through the independent scene and, you know, through, um, you know, WWE, as they was, you know, with Cody, who'd formerly been of WWE. Um, but I think one thing what, I always, what, what struck me about that relationship with um, Australia and New Zealand is that it was a fresh, exciting thing in the sense of that, you know, the, for a lot of fans who may not have, you know, ever seen Australian or New Zealand wrestling over in Japan, and so even, like you said, the home country, it's an exciting prospect for them with, with a guy like Jay White or a guy like um, Bad Luck Valley who, you know, come from the Oceania region to see them. You know, going back to New Zealand, and then as a Japanese fan, thinking, "Oh wow, look at all these Australian and New Zealand talents like Robbie Eagles, like you've just mentioned, um, guys who then can go up the ranks and become more prominent on the on the shows." So I think it, I think it's a really exciting, you know, relation relationship, and you know, there's obviously um, one thing as well with what I, what struck me about um, Australian and New Zealand wrestling. Is that it does kind of have its own distinct style, as all world wrestling does. It has kind of its own distinct style, um, and the fans. Um, I was staggered just then by that figure, actually, of only ten thousand wrestling fans. You know, which kind of makes sense, but when you think of a country as large as Australia is, as you mentioned, it does sound staggering in that it is quite a small number. But the well, it, it's
1: of- worth saying as well. I don't. We don't necessarily mean. Only 10,000 wrestling fans as such. But uh, as in, that was the only number I've heard regarding WWE Network subs yeah. in uh, Australia. So that kind of gives you an idea as to who's willing to pay extra for the, the biggest monopolistic com- uh, company in the world. And I think it was very interesting that uh, at end of 2016, there was a NXT tour of Australia with uh, yeah. like Nakamura, Samoa Joe, Uh, headlining as well as kind of buddy murphy and uh the then tm61's kind of homecoming tours Uh, and those shows it was generally pretty close to the same the same crowd numbers in uh australia uh on that 2018 tour uh when you compared the crowd numbers for the NXT tour to the New Japan tour, uh, which I think said a lot about uh, New Japan's growing strength at the time in yeah. the Australian market. And especially it was what was noticeable was that there was a lot of heavy discounting done for the NXT tour, uh, especially as you got closer to the... As you got closer to the days of the actual shows like a lot of two-for-one ticket deals uh, came out or really cheap ticket deals Whereas there never really was that kind of deep discounting uh, for the New Japan shows. So I suspect that even if the uh, NXT tour that 2016 NXT tour could have claimed that they got more people in the building uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the gates for the New Japan shows were actually bigger
0: Wow And yeah, that 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 kind of goes into the question I was about to saying that, you know, the the fans of Australia are very mm-hmm. um, from watching from afar, very passionate, very knowledgeable fans, very respectful fans, um, and the style of um, Australian wrestling as well and New Zealand wrestling, it has its own kind of distinct style. Um, do you kind of um, think? Because I mean, obviously, like the British style is a particular You know, um, there's a particular way of wrestling, as is European wrestling. And, you know, for you as an um, Australian fan, is it an exciting thing to see that that particular style is going more international as well as the talent that more, um, you know, wrestlers are wrestling a more kind of Oceania style than it is kind of getting it out there more because it is slightly different in a way um, Mm -hmm. than the. the European style, which has been so heavily um, sort of seen through, you know, NXT UK or Zack Saber Junior. and the like, and Will Os- I mean, Will Osprey is kind of more of a hybrid. But you, you know, like, um, is it exciting to see that going more international? Essentially, the the Australian and New Zealand style.
1: What's interesting is that I I still feel that it's very difficult to say that there is a specific Australian uh, or, or New Zealand style. Um, if anything, and this is something I've been thinking about more so over the past few months, uh, I think it's more so a kind of territory style within Australia. Um, So you've got Australia is a country that's made up of uh, six states and uh, two territory areas, the Northern Territory and Australian Capital Territory. Um, And because Australia is so geographically vast and the uh, the differences between uh, the actual locations. It's so difficult to actually go back and forth uh, between the major capital cities. Like especially looking at it from a Perth perspective. Yeah. I almost think that you can identify specific states or specific promotion styles uh, more so than you can. Uh, and overall Australian style. And I think that shows as well in a lot of the Australian talent who make it big, there isn't necessarily uh, a real commonality between them all in terms of how they work. Um, you can see commonalities, especially when people come from the same uh, beginnings or backgrounds. Uh, but what Australian style is as such is very much a hybrid in, in and of itself. So you've got people who are very influenced by either uh, Japanese wrestling, either kind of the modern New Japan style or uh, the kind of all Japan King's road. And I was just thinking as well, stuff like uh, the way in which say you could say Dragon Gate style, but maybe not necessarily directly Dragon Gate, but kind of, uh, second generation of the uh, impact that Dragon Gate had on American independent wrestling, mm. and so there's a mix. There's uh, WWE style that's filtered into a lot of Australian promotions and talents. Um, in particular, like a lot of the times when I'm watching an EPW show and they can get a bit interference heavy in main events, which <laughs> sometimes doesn't work, sometimes works really well. Uh, that's like the Attitude Era. You had main events where you had a lot of interference and sometimes it was really awful and sometimes it was like this magical uh, this magical storytelling thing where the odds just kept getting piled on and on. At people like Steve Austin and uh, Mankind, Mick Foley, uh, and... Definitely, I can often see like, oh, yeah, you guys are all Attitude Era kids. I can see that really <laughs> clearly at times uh, in terms of like the main event structures. Um, but as I was saying, I think each kind of state has its own distinct styles as such. Um, and especially like Western Australia. Uh, obviously, I was talking before about how the EPW originators were trained in um, in South Australia by uh, Hartley Jackson and uh, this uh, older wrestler called Cole Devani, who is kind of the father figure of South Australian wrestling to an extent, uh, at least modern South Australian wrestling. But then you had people like David Storm and Mikey Nichols and uh, Bobby Marshall going to the US, and actually a lot of them spent time in the Enoki Dojo uh, in LA. So there is that strong elements of kind of the traditional New Japan uh, style of training and the martial arts influence style of training uh, that's been incorporated there. Uh, Whereas um, I'm trying to think if there's other ones which are specific. So like New South Wales uh, is a state where their talent tends to be a lot more into goofy gimmicks and comedy wrestling. And I think a lot of that is because there's a strong uh, influence from Shikara uh, which made its way into uh, some of the main promotions in New South Wales and uh, a lot of the people who run some of the main promotions in New South Wales uh, are basically Quack Bush disciples. Uh, personally, I think that's part of the reason why the New South Wales scene has, I think, had the most trouble in terms of dealing with speaking out issues. I think a lot of it is because uh, it what they end up uh, producing wasn't just Shakara-esque in its its actual product, but in my opinion, uh, a lot of the negative elements that got exposed about Shikara's internal culture uh, from afar seemed to be apparent in the New South Wales wrestling scene. Uh, But as I was saying, that's one of the reasons why uh, comedy and uh, gimmick wrestling is a lot more prominent in New South Wales compared to the rest of the country. Uh, on Will Cooling's podcast, I talked a little bit about how Queensland wrestling uh, had a point where it was quite strong, uh, but then it basically collapsed in the late late 2000s, early 2010s, partly because you had uh, some uh, money mark promoters come in and just the way they were uh, running their promotions in the state basically collapsed wrestling there. Yeah, And I made the point that uh, after his return match a few weeks ago, uh, it was announced that Mark Davis is meant to be full time at a new training school in Brisbane. So it will be interesting to see uh, now that he's in that kind of senior leadership role in Queensland, whether that has a big impact on what we see out of Queensland wrestling going forward.
0: Yeah, um, it's it's a great point, actually, like you said, that it's not one particular style for a country. It's that different districts have different styles and different promotions take on a different style. And it's a hybrid style in that, you know, the um, Australian and New Zealand style is built upon that of even New Japan or all Japan. or these elements of the WWE are... I mean, it, it, like you said, in terms of like the Dragon Gate style, I mean, it, it kind of slightly um, is there with guys like, you know, Rob Eagles and the like. But I think you are right in that it's more um, the US, equi- you know, the kind of like second generation Dragon Gate-esque um, style. And it's good as well because it allows you a great variety of talents come through with a great variety of um, skill sets and, you know, matches and, and matchups with one another i mean um you know whenever um i've watched the um shows from uh, epw and um you know i've watched the shows from uh, oceana the fan one of the reasons i do want to visit is because the fans are um they're they're very knowledgeable, like I just said earlier on, and they're very they seem very respectful to the actual wrestlers, and you know they're very passionate fans, which is what I love. Passionate fans with you know passionate knowledge. Is that kind of um, is it you know do they, do as because you sit in you have attended EPW shows and things, and like you said at the beginning, you're like a season ticket holder. Is it kind of And I've asked wrestlers this, but do you kind of get involved in the shows as fans as well? So like, are there, you know, like sometimes like the ECW thing where you would have something happen one week and then the ECW fans would do something the second week to refer back to the week before. Has there been instances for you as a fan where you kind of get more involved and particular chants or particular things happen? Are you a lot more kind of reserved in that you sit and watch the action and, you know... um? applaud and boo and cheer and and things or is there more of an interaction with the wrestlers which they enjoy as well you know um, as a fan?
1: I think it's very much a a case-by-case basis Um, and being in in Perth located in the same city as where most of the people uh, say in EPW live um, you can sometimes have like a, a more personal relationship with the talent so that often gives you kind of a different perspective on say a scary looking spot uh yeah when you don't kind of know the person you're uh, per- when you don't know the person behind the uh performer behind the character like you might just kind of see the spot and go on whereas uh when you do like uh if you see someone take a vertebrae that looked a bit scary you're like oh oh okay that's that's kind of concerning um But definitely, uh, like I can remember the first show I saw uh, Avery on, uh, I made a point of getting up, uh, standing up and getting into an argument with her over the fact (laughs) that she was using Nickelback as her entrance theme, uh, which was fun. And then uh, afterwards, I I apologized if I went too hard. And uh, she was just one of the most lovely people i've met in professional (laughs) wrestling and i think uh, a lot of the reason why she's become such a star in melbourne is because uh, people are able to kind of empathize with her and uh, kind of see a mixture of the person and the character in the ring Uh, and uh, fans want to get behind that person even if she does kind of some heelish things because uh, you can see the the passion and the uh, commitment behind the performance, uh, and you know there's other stuff like that. Uh, it's interesting your take on Australian wrestling fans as such. Um, it's obviously a different experience watching something live or watching something on tape.
0: Yeah. And
1: again, it's a very uh, unique a unique outlook uh, in kind of each state and each promotion basically, in terms of the yeah. crowd they draw. Um, and very much so, I think, f- the ma- vast majority of people who go to shows, they probably only know their local promotion as such. Um, they might be aware of uh, bigger name international wrestling, like they they might be New Japan fans or AEW fans as well, or WWE fans. Uh, but uh, th- there's very few people who really know uh, other state scenes in depth. Uh, In any given crowd. So in a lot of ways, whenever someone from interstate comes to a new promotion on a new territory, they are having to rebuild themselves from the ground up uh, with the audience. And I think that's uh, something which might be part of the reason why a lot of the Australian talent are as good as they are, despite not having that much uh, experience getting reps in compared to people on the American independence or the UK scene. Uh, Even though you aren't necessarily getting to practice as much as you would in those countries, um, each time you go to a new area, you do have to establish yourself to a whole new audience. Um, and yeah I I think there's an element of that as to why Australian talent have been able to excel it's because they have to make the most of the limited time they have
0: yeah Um, they definitely you know they definitely do and I think that's a great point as well is that you know you, you each individual district has its own fans who are knowledgeable of that particular district and then when someone from outside of that district is a member of you know a wrestler comes in they have to win the crowd over they have to you know work through and get the you know get it um so they're able to spark a reaction and you know work through and things and that's a great thing as well for learning and growing as a as a wrestler as well as being able to you know for psychology and things like that and being able to work um, you know, in different areas, and be able to feel that as a fan, as, as a, sorry, as a wrestler with the fans. I think you know it's a great grounding um, to be able to move forward. And one of the questions what I did have in terms of actually, as you have attended a lot of EPW shows, um, is that you and um, it's going back to kind of the writing. Um, do you ever make notes? live at shows which you then put into the reviews or do you watch the review sorry do you watch the shows on vod and then re- review them kind of or do you, are you there for all the action because you're there or do you do notes while you're watching and then go back and write and then watch it again how does that work that kind of juxtaposition between the live experience and the vod experience do you um become invested in one or the other
1: Yeah uh, that's an interesting question uh one of the things I I normally do take notes when I'm at a show live but not necessarily detailed notes they're just generally like the match order and the match results and that's just so I actually have a record of that written down and I'm not just working on memory so that when I put the results into cage match they'll actually be uh Accurate, because uh, if there's one thing uh, that that does annoy me, it's when uh, results are put in inaccurately on Cage Match. Yeah. Um, And what I tend to do uh, with any reviews I've done, I've never done a review of a show uh, that I've attended a live where I haven't watched the VOD back. Um, I just think for one reason, uh, on one level, like, if I'm going to review a show, uh, the reader is going to generally experience it through VOD as well. So I think you could be at an awesome live show, but the sound recording just wasn't right on the VOD, and it doesn't have any of the atmosphere on tape that it had live. And that's, I think, a very important thing. Uh, to keep in mind when you're writing a review, um, and especially when you want to kind of give your uh, your reader an understanding of the product you're reviewing or the content you're reviewing, um, I, I do think it's very important to watch back the VOD because the live experience is just going to be, in many ways, uh, very, very different. Uh, yeah. And I normally will take notes when I watch a show I'm going to review on VOD. Um, but th- that is something it uh, kind of works differently every show or review I do. Uh, and I'm even in my own thinking at the moment, especially as uh, there's been a bit more of a delay uh, for EPW since the end of last year um, in terms of, the show date and actually getting the VOD out because there's just changes going on backstage in terms of getting new uh, editors. So it's taking a while for the kind of new uh, workflow pattern to kind of get set up where the shows are back at the more regular schedule they were beforehand. Um, So for example, that's also making me think, about whether I'm going to do some different things with uh, some of the more recent shows rather than do the traditional review, maybe uh, do a specific focus on one character. Um, And, you know, it's just about balancing the the time and the time commitment on my end and uh, the time commitment in terms of what I'm really pushed or interested to write about and yeah really as i've said before pretty much everyone on the internet writing about wrestling or talking about wrestling is doing it from passion and once when you're not getting paid if it starts to become feeling like a chore then you're not going to put out compelling content
0: yeah um i can completely agree with that from you know writing for um, nearly three years for the wrestling estate. You know, it's in there for the for the love and to be able to share the knowledge and the um, you know, the writing. You, you know, you just want to be able to write and be able to share it with people and you know, be able to um, review shows because you enjoy them. You know, and be able to. Um, I always look try and look at things from a positive standpoint. I never look at things really. I try to be as objective as possible. And I think um, when I have spoken to other people and they have tried to review shows while they've been there physically, there's always a bit of kind of a subjectivity. And as you mentioned, you know, we'll be watching it from home nine times out of 10 on a um, VOD rather than being there physically. So it kind of, it, it, you know, regardless of, there are very few shows you would attend where it would completely suck beyond belief. And if it does, then there's kind of been experiences where people have kind of joked about it and said, this show was really bad. You don't want to watch this show because it was bad enough to attend, let alone, you know, watch the VOD. But mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's good that, you know, when um, you go back and you watch and that you look at it from our perspective as viewers, you know, because it does help to give a more rounded view of the, um, you know, the product and the, and the shows. And, um, kind of this kind of finishes things off so it's kind of three questions but for those people who were um completely new who are listening to this podcast to the um oceana scene um and epw as we've mentioned most prominently in this interview which epw show would you say you need to seek out to watch have you any dream matches you would love to see take place in australia or new zealand and as you mentioned then about the, the um, reviews you're looking at doing, have you ever had the desire to write a book? Because I know you have written publications in the past, a book about the sort of Australian and New Zealand scene or a particular wrestler or promotion. Is that a dream sometime as well? So those are the three kind of closing questions for the listeners.
1: Okay. Um, before I address that, I just want to address the point kind of we were talking about just before you got into those three questions. Yeah, absolutely. And just thinking about reviewing uh, in particular. And uh, this is something I find similar to uh, reviewing uh, to marking. Um, and one of my day jobs is kind of in university teaching, so I mark a lot of students' essays or student oh, cool. work. Uh, similar to uh, writing uh, reviews, uh, generally... What I find is uh, writing about something I, I really like or that's really good is generally tends to come quite easily for me. Uh, writing about something I hate or is really bad also <sighs> comes quite easily. Uh, the hardest things to write about are uh, stuff that's just middling or the hardest mm. thing to mark is something that's just okay. Uh, when you have strong opinions one way or another, uh, that's going to generally draw the more interesting uh, work out of you as a reviewer. Um, it's very, uh, if you've seen Ratatouille, the film, uh, kind of the closing critic's speech uh, about that uh, is uh, probably one of the best kind of artistic thoughts on criticism. Yeah. And points made, like, you know, uh, writing reviews of bad stuff is can be fun to write and fun to read. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's part of it, uh, but what I was getting into, I think, uh, when you have when you have an investment in what you're writing, even say, I could, uh, I, I wrote a review of uh, professional championship wrestling's big show just before they uh, had the COVID shutdown in Melbourne, and and that wasn't a particularly good show, I thought overall. Um, and even a, a lot of the stuff was kind of more middling. But to me, uh, what was interesting was I was going, okay, this is basically like meat and potatoes style wrestling. That's mostly working for the kind of live crowd in attendance. Um, yeah. and, and there's interesting things to look at in terms of how this is different to other, uh, other Australian wrestling or other wrestling internationally. Um, and one of the interesting things about PCW in particular this year is that I think they are going to uh, book more outside of just their bubble of regular workers um, and uh, bring in some of the more talents uh, who who more regularly work MCW or somewhere like Deathmatch down under and have more mixing with their PCW yeah. regulars. So that's a promotion that's worth keeping your eye on because um, it might turn into something a bit more interesting than it was in the past uh but even then like even if it's a case where i i don't find the work necessarily to be something that i enjoy much aesthetically it was interesting to me to try and understand what this promotion was doing for its particular audience and when that was working and when that wasn't working so, uh, after that digression, uh, you <sighs> asked me three questions, uh, trying to remember. Uh first one was specific shows or matches.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, uh, so I am going to recommend some EPW shows for people. Uh, one of the important things to know is that EPW's Vimeo is currently free to access, at least their uh, main shows are. Um, Also, uh, most of their shows uh, going back to end of 2017 are available on services like High Spots, Demand Progress or uh, Power Slam and Australian Wrestling Network as well, which um, is another pivot share that has like the entirety of the uh, Melbourne City Wrestling Archives as well. Um, So shows that I would recommend. uh, The Reawakening from 2017... Uh, which is one of the uh, last shows in EPW's main uh, old main venue, which was basically a school gymnasium. Um, so the current shows at the Gate One Theatre have a bit more uh, of a positive vibe uh, because of the uh, because of the atmosphere of the venue itself. Yeah. Um, But this show in particular was one of the strongest shows that EPW has put on. Um, It had the Untouchables versus Street Gang Hooligans uh, tag title match. Actually, it wasn't a tag title match, but the tag team match between Untouchables and Street Gang Hooligans, which is one of the best uh, Australian matches I've ever seen. Um, And that match itself, if you don't want to watch the full show, which I do recommend watching the full show, uh, but that match itself is up for free on EPW's uh, YouTube. I would really strongly recommend that people check that match out. Um, and that show also had uh, a street fight between Davis Storm and the Don, Michael Morleone. And that was the the match where the Don kind of ascended to being essentially the current ace of yeah. MPW. Um, and, and that's an important historical show and a really good one as well. Uh, another show that I would strongly uh, recommend, uh, hello or High Water 2019. Um that, I thought, was the best Australian show uh, of, of the year of 2019. You had a really great technical match between uh, Damien Slater and TJ Perkins. Uh, you had uh, some really strong matches up and down the card, uh, in particular... Uh, in particular the tag title match which opened the show between uh, the street gang hooligans and Taylor King and Tyler Jacobs and the main event uh, I thought was just excellent which was Davis Storm versus uh, Michael Morleone for the EPW title and that was a match that was face versus face but worked in a very physical style a very emotional style it was basically you're watching two dads Beat each other up to try and make their children pr- proud, and uh, that was just a very compelling story to me. Um, so, so that's a show I strongly recommend. Uh, I would also recommend Going for Broke from uh, March 2020. So that was EPW's last show uh, before COVID shutdowns really started to hit, and that's another show with a lot of strong matches, particularly Uh, Delcano versus Jay Taylor which was in uh, basically Jay Taylor's retirement match and that was the start of Delcano getting elevated which he's doing now Uh, there was a four-way between Taylor King Gavin McGavin uh, Dan Steele and Michael Morleone which was a lot of fun it was uh, one of those multi-man matches that actually manages to do something a bit more interesting than two guys in the ring one or two guys on the outside waiting for the next spot Um, They did a lot of stuff working off each other's different moves and working with each other in the ring It was really cool And then the main event of uh, that show was Marcus Pitt versus Davis Storm for the EPW Coastal Championship Uh, Davis Storm putting his career on the line for the chance to win the Coastal Championship and that was an excellent match Uh, it was really something very special and uh, I had it actually as my third best match of the year on my uh, VOW top 10 matches of 2020 list. Um, st- really strongly recommend checking that out. Both men are fantastic in the fantastic in the match. Uh, the commentary does a great job of explaining the backstory and when things get a little kind of attitude error-y hmm. uh, in terms of interference, like they do a really good job of giving the context for that. Um, and yeah, Davis Storm is, uh, a great wrestler who has basically been in Perth his whole life. Um, And, you know, he he is the local legend of the scene. And Marcus Pitt is one of the most underrated wrestlers worldwide. He's, I think, doing the work of his career at the moment. He's just a fantastic professional wrestler and is really, really good at playing heel, but still putting on a really exciting match. You know, there's a lot of people who feel that if you're going to be heel, you need to try and bore the audience because yeah. the, the style of wrestling is, you know, spot heavy. So they're like, okay, so we, we take the the headlock to uh, piss the fans off. And, you know, basically <laughs> they're working this style that is uh, more thought of as a way of trolling the fans rather than, entertaining them and getting them invested in the actual outcome of the match uh but i just think marcus pitt's work recently has been phenomenal at playing heel but still putting on a banger of a match um and him and gavin mcgavin are currently in a feud uh very excited to see when that explodes because i think uh Hopefully the next EPW Gate One show, uh, we'll have that match up finally. And I think that's going to be something really special. Uh, And then the last show I'd recommend as well. So you can get an idea as to what's going on recently out of the ashes uh, from December 5th last year. Yes. you can check out my review on Voices of Wrestling of it. Uh, and, and that show was uh, main evented by David Storm versus Gavin McGavin in what was also a, an excellent match. And I think if you are sick of pandemic wrestling, which I very much understand because pandemic era wrestling kind of sucks, I even struggle to <laughs> deal with, I think AEW done it the best, but I even struggle to deal with the kind of fake crowd at AEW, like, you're still not getting genuine reactions out of people. Mm. Um, Yeah, I would strongly recommend looking at Out of the Ashes and in particular that main event where you had a crowd that was just really invested in the outcome. Um, So, yeah, those are my recommendations of EPW shows and some wrestlers to watch out for. Uh, Remind me of the two and three part of the Um, question. The
0: second question was, have you any dream matches you'd like to take place um, in either EPW um, with talent from either outside of anyone you've seen who you'd really think would be great to wrestle someone from EPW internationally, or if there are any Australian talents you'd like to go at it um, in EPW? And then the last question was, because of writing such high-quality work, um, would you one day like to write a book or... Um, you know, a series of books, you may say, about the history of EPW or particular wrestlers, as you were saying, maybe with the review sort of um, style you were talking about. So have you ever any aspirations to sort of write a book about um, Australian wrestling as well?
1: Okay, so uh, Dream Matches. Uh, Interesting that you bring that up. Uh, On the Turnbuckle, who's a a very good Australian wrestling podcast, uh, recently did an article on Snapmares Media, which is a website which kind of, mostly focuses on Australian wrestling, uh, talking about Australian uh, international dream matches. Uh, so I, I recommend checking out that article. Uh, some of the uh, dream matches which were mentioned um, are, are ones that uh, kind of came from me in the first place as well. Uh, <laughs> well one of the things that's mentioned in there, uh, I'm really excited uh, when travel bubbles are established for Tohanare to be able to work more regularly in both New Zealand and uh, Australia. I think he's really, really strong talent who, unfortunately, due to COVID, uh, he missed out on what was probably going to be his big push year in Mm. terms of 2020. So we'll hopefully see more of that in 2021. You know, he's also someone who has a wrestling school in New Zealand as well Um, I don't think his idea really is to work New Japan and work the UK or US uh, In the off uh, In his time off from uh, New Japan tours I think he's someone who wants to stick around the New Zealand and Australian scene There's some matches I would love to see him in uh, Particularly against guys like Marcus Pitt, Davis Storm, Julian Ward uh, Slex, if that could happen before yeah. Slex has to go to uh, the US full time, uh, Caveman Ugg versus Toa Hanare, that would be oh that yeah, that would be awesome actually. That'd that, be awesome. I would love to see that as say an inter Commonwealth title match in MCW. That'd be great. Uh, or, or Danny Psycho or Royce Chambers or um, lots lots, and lots of names. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I I think I'm <laughs> really excited. Hopefully for him to be able to work more regularly in Australia and New Zealand because I think there's a ton of Great wrestlers he could be matched up with and I think there aren't that many people especially in Australia who work as Physical a style as he does. Yeah, and I'd be really interested to see him clash and collide with some of the uh, star talent in Australia Um Other names, uh, there's there's so many names I can go through. Um, I would love to see Lena Cross uh, work some matches in EPW, particularly uh, a match against either Stella Stella Nix or um, Edith Knight. Uh, And Lena Cross is someone who uh, primarily works for NHPW in WA. Um, But she's worked some matches uh, over East uh, for some other promotions, particularly a couple for MCW. Uh, She had a match against Avery at MCW show at the end of 2019, which I thought was uh, really good. And her and Avery in particular have a lot of uh, chemistry together. Um, but kind of the internal politics of West Australian wrestling means that uh, She hasn't had the opportunity to work any of the women uh, Who work kind of exclusively uh, For EPW at the moment. Yeah, uh, so I'm I'm just really excited for when she eventually gets to have those matches uh, with the other great female talent who are in her kind of local area and that's something I'm just waiting for uh, certain people to kind of uh, drop their reluctance uh, to actually allow talent to work anywhere they can because you know no one is making any money off of this so to me the idea of exclusive talent in a small city like Perth does not make any sense Uh, but I'm kind of waiting for the NHPW side to uh, recognize that
0: it's um really really you know an exciting time and you know i hope one day you do write a book because i definitely would read it and buy it and promote it and you know um it's you know just such an optimistic time for australian and new zealand wrestling and as i mentioned off air you know your work has really opened my eyes to so many of the talented wrestlers over there in um Australia and New Zealand and you're doing great things with Voices of Wrestling and you know I've been a massive fan for a long time so it's been an absolute privilege to be able to speak to you this morning for me this evening for you so you know it's just been an absolute pleasure Kevin so thank you.
1: Uh, Thank you very much Stephen that is very very kind and um, in terms of a book uh, I don't know I do have an article I need to write for an academic book about about New Japan's wrestling expansion, actually. Uh, Now that I'm saying this, uh, it's a kind of promise to myself to actually finish that by the (laughs) G-Day. But especially uh, kind of in my academic uh, life, I'm uh, interested in kind of engaging more with this growing field of pro wrestling studies. And I think uh, there is a lot kind of for a more uh, popular audience like Voices of Wrestling and for kind of specific academic audiences, Um there's a lot more that I think I want to explore with this with this uh genre of sports entertainment to use the WWE's bad word. Um and (laughs) also yeah, um having grown up and I I had a, a long period where uh about seven years or so between going to EPW shows. Uh But uh, once I got back into it, I think just seeing the work done by these amazing talents in the most isolated city in the world uh, with absolutely no institutional support in terms of what other arts get in terms of government funding or uh, focus from institutions like universities or uh, festivals, stuff like that. You know, uh, a lot of I think the work on my end is to uh, promote what's good being done in Australia and in my local region.
0: Yeah, and you've done that for the past. You've done that so well, and it's that's an understatement. You've done it, you know, amazingly. And like I've said many many times just now in this interview, it's thanks to you that I have been opened up to you know guys like um, you know. Just the, the EPW roster as a whole. I can't even mm-hmm. kind of name one particular person just because you've helped me to just see some, and, and MCW, and, I mean, the Australian scene as a whole, but predominantly EPW, um, which, as you said, is now available for free at the moment. And I would, as you've recommended, everyone check out their output because it's just a great time to be able to get invested in the product ready for when things open up again in 2021 and going into 2022. You know, it's um very optimistic, And as I just said, thank you once again for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And where can people find you on social media or where would you recommend people, you know, find your work and um, be able to find you? So um, take it away. It's all yours.
1: Thanks, Stephen. And thank you very much for all those kind words. It's (laughs) too kind of you, but uh, it is is, um, really... Sorry about that. Uh, is that still working? Yes. Yeah, I can still hear you. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm just getting a lot of feedback on my end. I
0: okay. can muffle out the feed. If the feedback comes through, I can just, um, there's been no feedback while I've been speaking, but if that particular point, I can just make a note and I can just take that a little bit out. Um, but, um, but no, like I said, uh, just uh, all yours, you know, where people can find you and where, um, you know, people can seek your work out more than anything else.
1: Yep. Uh, so uh, keep watching on the Voices of Wrestling feeds and uh, you'll see the further uh, writing I'll do at the moment about Australian wrestling uh, and anything else that I feel compelled to write about in the world of professional wrestling because that's one of the great things about Voices of Wrestling is that uh, as long as you can write to the standard expected uh, of, the, of the website, uh, they will basically take, they will uh, publish basically on any topic in the world of professional wrestling. And I think that's uh, one of the very, very cool things that uh, rich in particular has created with voices of wrestling. Uh, So there's that Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. If you want Kevin Chiat, uh, C H I A T. I'm also on Instagram. KL cult is my handle on Instagram Uh, on Instagram. It is, basically entirely pictures of my labrador juno which is <laughs> more interesting than anything i could say so uh yeah if you want to see my dog go on there
0: absolutely i'll definitely go to seek um, instagram out now and uh, have a look at juno um and you know it's been an absolute blast kevin thank you so much for you know the time and definitely try and speak to you again at some point about how things may develop going through i mean we're just starting to open up like i said but maybe when things have passed on a little bit in terms of the pandemic and if you've attended any shows and just check in and see how you are down there in um, australia compared to here in the uk
1: yeah of course um it's been a pleasure to talk and thank you again so much for giving me this platform
0: no you're absolutely welcome and um, just to finish off as always you can find bbg wrestling at twitter at bbg wrestling and you can find all of our archives and our content um, on our website at www.bbgwrestling.com so that does it for me steven jackson with another phenomenal interview with australian and epw guru kevin chayat so thank you once again kevin and thank you everyone for listening so catch you all again soon